welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name what matters. Hello, hello, and welcome. Oh, I'm so thankful you are joining me for this episode, and I know you're going to be too. Today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am joined by author, contemplative Catholic writer, and retreat leader, Shannon K. Evans. Really quick, before we dive in, if this podcast has been a blessing or a resource in your life, would you consider taking just a moment to pause this episode and do as many of these things as possible? First, make sure you are subscribed or following the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening in Apple, if you would leave a rating and a review, I would so, so appreciate it. Make sure you're also following the show on Instagram at Let It Matter Podcast, on Twitter, <clears throat> excuse me, at Let It Matter Pod. All of these things are really vital um, to the analytics and the algorithms, to the growth, the guests, and the future goodness of this podcast. And your support means the world to me. Now, let me introduce Shannon for those who may not be familiar with her work. Shannon K. Evans, her pronouns are she, her, is a <clears throat> writer in the contemplative Catholic tradition, the author of Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality and Embracing Weakness. She is the social media editor for National Catholic Reporter, a retreat leader for the Jesuits of the U.S. and Canada, a regular contributor to Franciscan Media, and has written for U.S. Catholic, America, and G's Magazines. Shannon speaks regularly at churches, small groups, conferences, and retreats on topics related to motherhood, prayer, and justice, and leads groups in guided meditation. She is a mother of five and lives in Ames, Iowa. Now, let's get into it. All right, Shannon Evans, thank you so, so much for being here today. I just couldn't be more thrilled to have this conversation with you. It's so fun to be here. I already like you just chatting before we started. So <laughs> I, I knew we I knew we would. You seem like my people. And so I'm yeah, just you I have so. from just posts online and our, our brief interactions. And that's I just knew we were gonna hit it right off. And um I want to start at this sort of point in the episode. I've given your bio. Uh, and so people know the title of your book. And I think to start out it would be helpful. Um to just have some definitions. So when you use the word feminist or feminism uh, as an identifier, what do you mean by that word? Mm -hmm. I love that question because I feel like the answer sometimes is surprising because it's very not groundbreaking. It is very simply just equality of sexes, equality between genders and among genders. And that's really it. It's not a big, scary word, but yeah. we've, we've culturally, we've loaded it pretty good. So I get it. 
We've loaded it really good. And I appreciate you, you saying that I, um, it's so funny the people that you would, you think are the most, some of the most feminist people and they don't use that identifier because of the way we've loaded it. Yeah. Um, and I use it. And then oftentimes I feel the need to come in with asterisks and prefacing and, and all kinds of, but hear me sure. out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and so I appreciate that. One of the things I appreciated was in the preface of your, of this book, feminist prayers for my daughter, um, is the way that you acknowledge some of the harms of white mm -hmm. feminism to various other marginalized communities, both historically and even currently, um, since we are two white women having this conversation, um, I want to just socially locate us and let people know we're both aware of, <laughs> of that. Yeah, and, I'm so um, glad. And just can you say a little bit more about that um, as we as we sort of get started here? Yeah, I remember a few years ago, I guess, when I kind of first started like having an awakening within myself of like all of my own internalized misogyny and like mm. my qualms with with patriarchy and my religious structure and in, in the country. And um, I feel like that happened to a lot of us at kind of about uh -huh. the same time, kind of around 2016. Kind of around 2016. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I remember kind of starting to hear voices from women that I respected who were not my race, who were maybe Latina, who were black women, or who were like transgender women or mm -hmm. lesbian women, but, but women who's, who did not share like my social privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, their feedback was a lot of critique that surprised me. And that was really helpful for me to see. And those kinds of things were the white feminism movement has historically. And like you said, currently still does, um, left out really anyone who is not middle class or up mm -hmm. white woman, um, cisgender, straight white woman. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of that is not intentional, but it's because we have not, we haven't like done our due diligence to, to listen and learn and realize that intersectionality is a really big part of women's equality, right? So we've got to be listening because for a woman who identifies as both a woman and as black, like she's got these, she's got a lot more complexities going socially than I do as a white woman who right. enjoys a lot of physical safety and a lot of people assuming the best about me and just all kinds of stuff. Right. So we just really have to be listening to um, how all of those parts of our identities play into the feminism movement and we can only do that if we're listening to people so that's that's right and i i've actually i've sort of been in my um feminist origin stories era lately mm, um but so like um mrs america was a show that came out on hulu last year i think oh, I I during the pan pandemic it's all about sort of those days of second wave feminism so gloria mm. steinem and um, it talks about Phyllis Schlafly. It, it, it's like, it's really well done. If you haven't seen it, people, if you're listening yeah. to this, it's really great. It's all about the Equal Rights Amendment and, and the debate and the women leading the conversation around the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, and Betty Friedan, who wrote, you know, the Sacred yeah. Feminine, I think, um, mm -hmm. or no, the Feminine Mystique, sorry. Yes. Yes. Um, 
That always makes me think. <laughs> Leslie Nope on Parks and Rec, she wrote a cookbook called The Feminine Mesquite, and it was a grilling cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Um, she wrote The Feminine Mystique, and but Betty Friedan was, I mean, notorious for not wanting lesbian women to be included in the movement mm. because they didn't want to all be lumped in as lesbians just because they were feminists. And that at the time, of course, that was, uh, it was it reduced their credibility and it was a slur and, you know, and things wow. like that. Wow. I didn't realize that, but yeah, that makes sense. That yeah. Feels, and and then, yeah. you know, Gloria Steinem came and said, absolutely not. That's, that's crazy. You know, lesbians are women too. You know, mm-hmm. there's, so there's been white women who have said like what you're saying, which is intersectionality and full inclusion. I mean, if you are a woman or if you are uh, identify as a woman, you're in this group, you're included Mm -hmm. and we we want equality for all of us or -hmm. it's not equality for any of us. Um, But like you said, there are another one that you mentioned in the preface was um, people who are poor or just impoverished. Um, Because I think about, you know, maybe a white woman, but who's homeless. Right. That that would have the same sort of um, lack of self, lack of safety, lack of um, legal benefit of the doubt, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. things like that. So yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you, um, noting that in your preference, it's, it's always one of the things that I look for in an introduction or in a preface when I'm reading books by women about feminism or Christian feminism is, yeah, right, right. Do you acknowledge, um, you know, your, your locus in terms of proximity to power and how that, uh, mine too, I'm not, not just theirs. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I got no business and I don't really want any business learning from white women who want to exclude anyone else who identifies as a woman. Yeah, 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 for sure. So um, I would love to hear about, I love this in your bio, sort of a self-proclaimed Catholic, contemplative, and feminist. Um, The Catholic and contemplative, I can see holding intention really well. The feminist part was... It is sort of, I guess, surprising. I I think for those listening to this who may have experiences, maybe not in in Catholicism, but in other male-led or male-dominated religious traditions, it might be hard to sort of see a a way of existing inside that space while Mm -hmm. holding to an ethic of feminism uh, and egalitarianism. And so I'd love to hear from you just how that's played out in your life and faith and work. I'll I'll be entirely transparent with you for most of my life. What I knew about Catholicism came from sister act. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, same. (laughs) I didn't grow up Catholic, but I did love sister act. Oh, okay. Okay. So, I mean, it was, it is, it remains my favorite movie. Sister Act 1 and 2, um, but I imagine it's not a complete portrayal. So. <laughs> I don't think that no, was the goal of the writers. No. So I'd love to just hear how how feminism has intersected with your Catholicism and then yeah, the contemplative piece in your life, your faith, and then now in your work, of course. Yeah. So simple, simple question, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, no big I, deal. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll start with I, and I mentioned like, I didn't grow up Catholic. So Mm -hmm. I actually became Catholic when I was 30. I am almost 40 in like two weeks, I'll be 40. Um, and so, and that was sort of my, 
you know, now people use the word deconstructing, you mm-hmm. know, um, but, but 10 years ago, like people weren't really using that word, but right. I guess that's kind of what happened to me. of was really unpacking this, like all of my qualms with the evangelical church. And okay. I certainly didn't see the Catholic church as like being this like perfect alternative, but mm-hmm. I think it felt so different. And like, because of like where I was in my personal life too, there was, there was a lot of attraction mm-hmm. that, um, yeah. So, but at the same time, it was very much like there's still a lot of junk that I don't love, but I think this is where I'm going to like set up camp, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I don't regret the decision, but it has been more complicated than I knew I was signing up for and mm-hmm. at times more painful. But I think what I, what enables me to stay identifying as a Catholic is that this is like such a cliche among Catholics, but, but most non-Catholics haven't heard it. Like Catholicism is like this huge tent and there's literally like every kind of human being under the sun, under this tent, you know? Um, and so there's very, there's a lot of different expressions of, of Mm -hmm. it. There's a lot of different iterations. There's a lot of different kind of like corners of the tent where you find your people, you fight Mm -hmm. for what's important to you, what you believe in, you're trying to expand the tent to, to include more than you exclude, you know? Yeah. But so like, that's the kind of Catholicism that I know and love. Yeah. And I am very aware <laughs> that it is not the only flavor of Catholicism, you know, but it's like, yeah. there's just, there is so, there's so much room there and there's so much good stuff happening yeah. that it's just, it makes it easier to kind of take the harder stuff in line. And also mm-hmm. I, a few years ago, I kind of really hit this crisis point, like I mentioned, with just like my own sort of awakening to mm-hmm. like the harm that that misogyny has caused and um, sexism has caused and kind of ha- wrestled for several years with like whether to stay in this or any religious institution right. or like identifying and really what ended up helping me decide to stay was that I then found my people. And before it had been like mm-hmm. individuals here and there, but there's not right. a lot of power to that. I was joking with some friends the other day that it's like, it's literally Harry Potter, you know, where like Luna Lovegood is like, <laughs> like <laughs> Voldemort wants you to feel isolated because if it's just you, you're not as much of a threat. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but when you, f- when you find your, you know, Order of the Phoenix or whatever, if I'm going to just keep <laughs> killing this horse. It's Sister then- Act. It's Harry Potter. I'm loving it. <laughs> it's here. Who knows what's next? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like for my full-time job, I work at the National Catholic Reporter, which is right. um, like a, a serious publication that focuses on the intersection yes. of the church and justice issues. And it's very yes. progressive. And um, a lot of people call it heretical, but we, we just keep doing our thing, you know? And and then just through, through that, especially really um, getting better acquainted with the like the things that are happening and the 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 very legitimate groups and organizations that are moving us forward so that just like keeps me going and gives me life. So, long answer that. to your question, but basically for me integrating feminism with Catholicism has really been about finding my people and not having to do it alone because I don't think I would still be here if I was trying to do it alone. 
I love to hear you say that because, and I don't, I, maybe I should have said this when I asked the question, but I hope that you didn't feel like I was trying to say like defend why you, how you no, I don't feel like that a feminist. You. Okay. Um, but I, I, I remember as an, as a member of the SBC, you know, mm-hmm. I grew up, um, I grew up church of Christ and I wasn't a feminist then I was, a. uh, I don't even know if I was a Christian then. I just was in the Church of Christ. Sure. Um, and it's it was so conservative and misogynistic and hierarchical. And and then I went to the SBC and about, like you said, around 2016, I started being like, this is, you know, started seeing a little before that, started getting involved or aware, becoming aware of racial injustice and yeah. um, racial reconciliation conversations and, and equity and stuff. And then um, – and then slowly feminism, but it was social and political. Right. Um, within my faith context, I didn't feel like I could be integrated in that yeah. way. I sort of had to silo that stuff off in my faith uh, because I was in a very complementarian mm-hmm. denomination. And, you know, even though they would at the, that church I was at, they would call it soft complementarianism where women can do everything but the top job, you know? Yeah, right, <laughs> um, right. You know, um, but I, um, I think, listen, I don't know if it would have made a difference and I don't know that I want to like wax poetic about what it would have been like to stay, but (laughs) I'm very happy where I'm at now. But, um, but I think people, maybe someone listening to this who doesn't have the option of leaving, maybe they feel, you know, their husband or their family or their location doesn't allow them just to spit and hit 10 churches, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, maybe I'm just thinking of someone listening to this thinking I'm stuck in this place where I'm at, at least for now, but these are my beliefs. And so I love to hear, hear you say like, find your people because they exist. They do. And whether it's online or on on uh, Twitter or Facebook or uh, I don't even know them all. Insta- I mean, Instagram, but I don't know any other social media because I'm a hundred. <laughs> um, but however you can I hear there's something people. called TikTok that the kids are TikTok, using TikTok, that's days. the other one. <laughs> I don't even have it on my phone. Every time someone sends me a TikTok video, I send them a thumbs up emoji and I don't watch it. Honestly, it's awful. Okay, anyone listening to this that's ever done that, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> they're like, That's but, what the thumb emoji was about. Okay, I shouldn't even say ha ha. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, so I'm glad to hear you say that though, because I do think it would have made a difference in the in the interim years where I was there yeah. but didn't know, you know, didn't wasn't ready to leave but did have different beliefs. I like that. Um, I'm curious what kind of responses you've gotten Mm -hmm. to your work from within Catholicism and then even sort of broader, um, you know, the broader faith community uh, to your work and your convictions. Like you said, you found your people, but for those within the tent who aren't in your corner of the tent, um, you know, what does that conversation look like on a, on a broader level? You know, I have been surprised with this particular book and have not heard that much crankiness about it. I'm um, so thrilled. <laughs> I know. I do. I, I have seen a couple of things, but, um, but you know, it's like, it's not even like, it's not even people who actually read the book. They're just mad that <laughs> they, like, I wrote a book of yeah, feminist prayers. That you're a woman. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like for the most part, I think definitely a few years ago, 
there were a there was a pretty loud um backlash against me like in the Catholic Church. And mm. so that kind of happened and that was really difficult. Um and again, it was like a very small but vocal subset of Was that in response to like rewilding motherhood? Your first it, book or was that more was, just It started actually before that where it was just okay. like it was just because I was like doing social activism just stuff on social media. And, yeah, and yeah. like people didn't like the kind of positions that I took politically and stuff, you know? Mm. Um, but again, it's like small, small, like drop in the bucket representation of the entire Catholic church, but it was still hard, you know? Um, especially I'm like a very conflict avoidant person. So like, I have my strong opinions, but don't like ask me to debate you about them. (laughs) Uh, I love that. I love meeting conflict avoidant uh, strong opinion people. It doesn't compute to me at all, but I love that. That's I know great. it's very, I'm a, I'm an Enneagram nine with an eight wing, which is like a very complicated uh, combination. Yeah. I'm the inverse. I'm an eight Are you? with a nine wing, which makes me a, like, I can be real fierce, but I can see nuance. Yeah. <laughs> I can see the nuance. I'm just going to yell about it. Right. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So with, with rewilding motherhood, I think there was, mm-hmm. um, at this point, I mean, Feminist Prayers has only been out for a couple of months now, so mm-hmm. maybe there's more, more to come. But with Rewilding Motherhood, there was a lot of, not just from Catholics, but like I see, I saw yeah. a lot of reviews from women who who kind of um, felt threatened and, and kind of read into my words to say like, being a, like enjoying being a stay-at-home mom isn't okay, which I never said. And, you know, right. like just really projecting their own yeah. stuff onto what I was yeah. writing. So, I mean, I try not to let that kind of stuff get to me. Yeah. Um, so I know that some – I'm not even going to try to explain it. I'm going to let you explain it. But I know that something happened recently that is – sort of a beacon or a indicator of progress and good news within the Catholic church that came from uh, a decision Pope Francis made. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I can. (laughs) I'm going to make you do like the really super Catholic thing without. I didn't. Well, I I was like, I was going to start to try to say about the women and the, and then I thought I just, Just I don't even know all the terminology. I'll just let you. (laughs) I mean, the majority of the Catholics on the planet don't even know that this is like even happening. It's a big, it's a big church, but it is a, it is a really huge deal. So we are in a three year what they call a synod on synodality, which is kind of a ridiculous redundancy, but it's basically just a time of where where Pope Francis has like said this is an official time of listening to the people of the church, mm-hmm. and so every diocese in every country and you know around the world. So like wrap yeah. your mind on like <laughs> feedback coming I, from New York City. I think Catholicism. And Pakistan. Wouldn't you say it's like yeah? Wouldn't you say yeah. it's a much bigger community globally even than it is in the United States? And there's yeah, I mean, it's huge in the United States, but globally. Yeah. It's I like mean, the state religion of many countries, which, right? Like, yes, which is very yeah. – it's very complicated because you have like – you have Asian countries where there's a lot of persecution in some places, like mm-hmm. legitimately. And then there's, yeah. you know, Latin American countries that are like the fun Catholics, <laughs> you know, like the people <laughs> you want to party with. And then yes. these are obvious generalizations. But like, <laughs> sure. then, like in Germany, there's been a lot of um, 
push from the people and the hierarchy in Germany for the Catholic mm-hmm. Church to move forward on LGBTQ issues and, and rights. Mm-hmm. And then there's like uber conservative U.S. Catholic bishops who are like, I will die before I let that happen. You know, like it's just there's so yeah. much. So like it's yeah. really wise. Pope Francis is like, OK, we're just going to we're not going to make assumptions. We're going to actually listen and ask everybody to give input. So that. like individual churches, like 12 people gathering, listening to each other, they file their mm. little report about what people say. And that is one of the mm-hmm. nice things about such such a such a. um rigid structure is like there's a parish there's a diocese there's an archdiocese there's a you know there's a country yeah um and so it kind of makes that thing possible anyways so when there there is a team that is combined of um like bishops and lay people who are compiling a report Mm -hmm. on all of the findings and um they 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 already kind of release like a like a um initial just like feedback kind of like the the general themes that they're getting so they're working on mm-hmm. a more formal report and then at the end of the synod there's going to be kind of a vote about how to move forward with this information and for the first time horrifyingly but it's still true um women will be able to vote in that and so it's a delegation of That's people huge. it's huge it's not like I get my vote. Everybody gets their vote. Like that was the listening sure. session part, but there's yeah, 80 yeah. people. Um, and I lost, I lost the, the number left my head of like exactly how many are women, but, but a certain amount have to be women. Um, a, he mm. wants a certain amount to be young people, you know? And so like, mm. it's just also, really it was, the, it was lay people and Bishops, bishops, right? So it's yeah. not all just right. clergy. Right. It's, I mean, obviously, if there's women, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's so huge. I mean, I know, like you said, it's horrifying that it's just yeah. now, but at the same time, uh, in this thing, better late than never. Yeah. Right? Totally. And like I said, I mean, it's like I get really angry about it, but then there's also the perspective of like, okay, like I'm also like in this with people who are living in parts of the world where women can't drive, you know, like, right. like, of, right. of course they think right. it's nuts that women should get a right to vote. Like, you know, it's just, yeah. so it's hard, but it's also kind of like, that is an interesting facet of it because of, I mean, so much of, uh, I think probably maybe more so than any other Christian tradition, at least maybe not Orthodox. Well, probably uh, the Catholic church seems to be, in more places yeah. at least. And, and, um, and so that's really interesting to think about. And also the listening sessions, I assume, did those have women in them as well? Just oh yeah. Even on the like, actually mostly organized so, by women. So this is, it is like the women's, it is women's voices that are getting passed up in these reports yeah. as well. Yes. Yes. Even though they're not voting, it is still, um, factoring in the voices and the concerns and the absolutely absolutely and actually on the ground level it was mostly women who were organizing these things at parishes you know because women are the ones who do the work in the in the local church because we're the ones (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah we are the ones um, it's pretty exciting so I love that um thanks for sharing with us about that I know that that I mean it was a little bit of a tangent from the book but um I had seen that that happened and then that you had done an Instagram live so if I assume it's saved on your profile if people want to know Mm -hmm. more about it you had a conversation with someone and um you guys talked about that more and so 
um, I think even for non-Catholics, but just women and Christians in general can rejoice at the fact that the voices of women are being considered and listened to. And, um, okay. Shifting gears back to the book here. So in the preface, you write about the permission that you gave yourself Mm -hmm. to reimagine God. Um, it was one of my favorite phrases that you used, especially in the preface. I mean, the prayers were so beautiful, but permission to reimagine God and how sort of this book came from your own need for more liberated ideas Mm -hmm. about who God is. Can you talk a little bit about what brought about that realization and the need for the shift? Um, and then maybe how you imagine and understand God now. Yeah. I love your love your softball questions. Like so easy to answer. How do, who is God to you? And like, tell me all about Catholicism. No, and- I love it. I love it so much. Um, but yeah, okay. So I always have to shout out Joyce Rupp because I think I mentioned it in the book. But she is the one who you first. Did. I first read her work, um, Fragments of Your Ancient Name, and she she uses she does this. She uses a different like. Um, identifier Mm -hmm. for God for every, every page. And it was just so refreshing and like different and it engaged a different part of my spiritual imagination. And, um, but honestly, the first time that I, the first one of those I read, um, or my spiritual director actually read out loud to me was one, and I don't even remember the name that she used, but it was a, it was a, a divine feminine. It was a, a maternal name. And something just like shifted inside of me. It was like, it was like this little girl inside of me was like, really? (laughs) You know, I can call Mm, you mama. I know. know? Um, Like something just healed. And it was just after that, I, I kind of went and it was probably, oh, five or six years ago and have kind of like been on this path with with the feminine nature of God and with the divine feminine and, and really realizing how starved I was for that. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons why like that are personal to me, but I think also just as a people, we are so starved for any sort of feminine, um, spiritually and gosh, you know, I kind of, it just, started like this, um, like this really delightful spiraling of just like feeling. So Mm -hmm. I I love actually in Catholicism, we have the Virgin Mary, who's obviously, I was just about to ask. Yeah. So obviously different from God, not one of the Trinity, but I do think that there's something, um, that helps us engage with even the concept of, of the feminine within God, Mm -hmm. because you know, like with Jesus, like we see his physical body, like we have something mm-hmm. to, for our imagination to grasp onto. And, yeah. and so yeah. I think Mary kind of some, in some ways, the same thing of like, um, so I love collecting like Marian art that, that depicts different ways of, of, you know, her with a child, obviously Jesus mm-hmm. or like her pregnant or nursing breastfeeding, but like in my imagination, look at you. That's so cool. Which one? Who is that? Who's the artist? It's um, uh, Modern Saints. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm I'm familiar with her stuff. For those listening, I'm pointing to the art on the wall behind Mm. me. Um, 
And I'll tell you what I got yeah, that just beautiful. a second. But yes, I love, I love yeah, that Yeah, so like letting myself be the child who was nourished by a mother, who was held or, you know, mm-hmm. I like, yeah, there's just been so much healing done in me for that. And so then it just... Um, after a few years of like getting my soul fed on that, like maternal image, Mm -hmm. then I'm like, okay, like now what else, like what else do I need in my spiritual imagination? Like, how can I fill in these gaps? Um, so that was my favorite part of writing the book was like addressing the divine in lots of different ways. It's so beautiful. And I, I loved when you said that about Marian theology as well, because, um, when I was sort of on the first part of this journey about imagining, God, um, as mother or as a woman or in the, in the feminine as well. Um, I, I read a quote, I think, um, mother Teresa used to, when she would see like orphans or children suffering or something, she would pray and ask Mary, be a mother Mm. to them now. And this, oh, I think this was right after, um, the zero tolerance immigration policy oh, was enforced. And so we, I'm in Texas. And so at the border, it was the separation uh, from mothers and children and stuff. And I was just uh, a mess. And, um, and so Mary, that, that language helped me because I, I see Mary a little bit differently, but uh, still, you know, revered and high and holy and sacred. Um, but I was able to say, God be yeah. a mother to them. Yeah. Um, and so that Marian language gave mm-hmm. me, and then set the same thing with this art, like the one I just pointed to on the wall, um, because people can paint Mary yeah. as a child, then I have this and I feel like it's a painting of God yeah. as a mother. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? And so I love what you said. Um, there's, there's one that my, that Gracie did as well. That's like undoer. Yeah. Us. Yeah where she's got like the necklace or something. She's got something in her hand and she's undoer of knots. I have prayed to God yes. as undoer yeah. of knots yeah. so much lately. And I think that that is such um, like and so the I love mystery that. of Mary in general. It's like there's like the literal mm-hmm. Mary of Nazareth, but then like beyond that, <laughs> like is, yeah. has our human need for a divine mother sort of like – merge merge god and like this Mm. human woman you know what i mean like and yeah i I, I think it's just fascinating and i don't think that that's like heretical i think it's just really interesting and and can be really helpful like as we pray and as we kind of heal those parts of ourselves with the pictures of god that we need if god is fine being imagined as a rock (laughs) and and an eagle and a lion and you know all these other things i can't imagine you know god is offended by being imagined as a woman that's just and a woman who he said blessed and highly favored are you so um he god they all of the things pronouns are hard for god (laughs) yes (laughs) um so um i uh you answered it p- mostly. Can you, in the way that you imagine and, and think about God now, do you, um, is it incorporating the sort of Marian imagery that allows you to have that more imagination? Or is there a way that you, like with the Holy yeah. Spirit or um, a way that you relate to mm-hmm. God yeah. now? Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Then? I think that I you know, I, I feel like there's so much, okay. Like in different seasons of your life, you know, you end up kind of gravitating to 
a particular metaphor mm-hmm. for God that like your unconscious actually needs, but it kind of finds you. Yes. Um, so when I was like in my yes. early twenties and I was kind of like healing from all the shit I did in my teen years, you know, I was like really mm-hmm. needy with like Jesus, the bridegroom. That was just like what mm. I needed. It was very healing. And then later I was sort of like, embarrassed about it of like oh like what was I don't know it's kind of silly and and (laughs) but like somebody told me it was like no like that you needed that at the time but you don't you don't have to need that now but don't judge yourself for like for how God was meeting you and what you needed then um yeah and so kind of the same thing like I I am not I don't cling to the Mary um pictures mm-hmm. as much but I still I still love them I still kind of collect mm-hmm. them and but like sure. as, as far as my own prayer life um but like mm-hmm. very much I, I guess probably more the Holy Spirit these days and it's like mm-hmm. in a way that is real um nature based and like we moved out a year and a half ago to mm-hmm. this prairie and there's woods behind our house and just kind of going and sort of like communing with the Holy Spirit through what's around me and just like even just the the feeling that the way I feel when I'm out there you know and just kind of knowing mm-hmm. that that's God so it's like yeah it's that's it's beautiful. it's really become a precious part of my spiritual life to like let different iterations touch me in different seasons however long I need them oh that's so beautiful I love that um I I think my, you know, the, the mother language, it's, it is, it still hits especially hard when I, when I hear hymns replace the word mm-hmm. for father. Like if I heard, um, how deep the father's love and they changed it to how deep the mother's mm. love. Have you heard someone sing that? Um, that would be powerful. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah, I have. And it was, uh, she's got the whole world in her yeah. hands. I do that with my kids. I do those <laughs> things. Yeah. I could weep. I'm like getting... Yeah, theory right now. Um, and so that, that's when it hits especially hard or when, um, like when I've blown it that, or when I'm really sad and I picture like my head laying in my mom's lap and petting Mm -hmm. my hair and just the softness of her body and the safety of, you know, my mom's hugs and stuff like that. Uh, but lately I'd say probably the last couple of years, and I think maybe is what drew me to the Episcopal Church, um, that, you know, the, the way of love, it's like their whole thing is um, this loving, life-giving, liberating God. And um, and so divine love is how I have been relating to God mm-hmm. most lately, that, that because for so long, the emphasis was on God's grace, yeah. God's forgiveness, which always implies my own yeah. shittiness or my unworthiness or my own um, sinfulness and, and uh, fallenness and brokenness and stuff. And I'm not saying those things aren't part of the picture. I don't know where to, what boxes I have for those things right now. But what I do know is the first thing God said mm-hmm. over us was that, you know, that yeah. we were very good. And I know that like um, – that John says God is love. And if you know love, yeah. you know God. And so, um, so I, that's one of the things that I have clinged to. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to share that for like, because I don't want people to think that like, you may be, you're not limited to human right. imagery or to personhood or to gender mm-hmm. imagery. There's objects, like we just said, rocks and fortresses and eagles and Absolutely. lions and 
wind and water, uh, oil, wine, all these things. But, um, uh, but the divine Mm. love has been, has been the biggest one for me. Um, in the preface, you also say that this book is not just for mothers or mothers Mm -hmm. of daughters, basically. Um, I, as I mentioned before we started recording, I use a lot of your, I have used a lot of the prayers from your book at the end of the episodes of this podcast um, and just sort of adapted the language a little bit from my daughter or her Mm -hmm. to us and we and women and things like that. Um, So can you share your heart about who this book is for? If it's not just for mothers of daughters, who, who did you write the book for? Um, the first few prayers, and they're not like in chronological order of where I wrote them in the book, but like the first few prayers that, that I got down on the yeah. page were literally for my daughter. We're literally praying for my daughter. Mm-hmm. But most, once I got started and kind of realized what, I, what project I had here, most of them are, mm-hmm. are not literally for my daughter. Maybe one day they will be, you know, like, but like, yeah, I, it, it was so much more a way to, to mother just women in general, um, whether they mm. be younger than me or not, you know, whether they have yeah. daughters themselves or not and, or ever will. Um, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. like, it, I told you off the air, but it meant so much to me to hear that you using the prayers mm-hmm. that way, because I was so hoped that people mm-hmm. would realize they can, you know, of just like, adapt the words yeah. however you need. You know, there's some, um, a couple yeah. of moms of boys have been like, will you do like a feminist prayers for my son? And I'm like, I don't know if any publisher would believe that that book is going to sell. <laughs> it's like a very small niche market <laughs> of moms who would want that book. But, but so, you yeah. know, they've been like, they'll do an ebook <laughs> companion to this one. Yes, right. <laughs> Yeah. So it's not, not your worst yeah. idea, actually. Maybe that's what it'll end up being. But I was like, yeah, I can't, yeah. I can't commit to that, even though I have four boys. I'm like, I just don't know. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you can yeah. always change the words, right? To, but, but it is especially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, directed at the female experience, and hopefully trying to give voice to, um, to issues that we've kind of had to be silent about either because like there hasn't been a space for them in spiritual places or because we have just kind of been shamed to not talk. I mean, my friend was pointing out the other day, um, like there's no Psalm of lament in the Bible for miscarriage because women weren't writing. I mean, had women been writing the Psalms? Oh yeah, there would have been, you know, that would have been (laughs) half of the Psalms, Yes, but like, or, or infant loss, you know? Um, and just, mm-hmm. it just like reminded me of how sacred it is to be able to kind of, to put, to give words to those kinds of things that, that our spiritual yeah. spaces have really failed us in. I, that was one of the very first things I thought when I was reading through it. I still haven't read all of them yet. Cause I really want to savor and go slow and, and use them like mm-hmm. as they come up, but things like when you're yeah. explained to, or for yeah. equal pay or, um, for like a world without mm-hmm. Photoshop, um, the, these things that like are very much a part of modern right. society and that will be very much a part of lives of women now, as well as uh, the next generation. And, um, 
and those prayers, like, I can't tell you, like I, like I told you before we started recording, when I saw a book called Feminist Prayers, I didn't care who it said it was for. <laughs> Feminist Prayers for my daughter. I'm not a mother. I am a daughter. My right. mother's not a feminist. Um, but <laughs> um, I just, I couldn't, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't get enough of, of these. Um, during my sort of transition out of evangelicalism and into the Episcopal church during COVID and all that, I really started leaning on mm-hmm. written prayers from others um, because I was so burnt out. I right. had no words left of my own. And to be able to walk on path, what felt like worn paths that generations mm-hmm. and millennia or centuries, at least of Christians before me have prayed uh, it felt like they yeah. were lending me yeah. their faith. And that's a little bit what I feel like when I read these prayers is like, this is you leveraging your history with God on behalf of oh my God, generation. Oh my God, It just, it really, it really is. I can't, I, I, if I had the budget, I'd give away a hundred copies of this to every listener who wanted one. I just, I can't tell you like how uh, mm. important that's a terrible word. It's like, it lacks so much of what I mean to say, but it really is one of the most important um, books I've had oh, in a long thank time. Thank you so much. Wow. You just made my crappy day better. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad that I could. Um, the last thing, and for listeners, you're going to say, this is not a question you always ask. This is a question I'm okay. going to start asking all of my guests. Um, and you can answer it as briefly or as longly. Well, as long as you have, um, serious or silly, whatever feels right to you. I want to know what is mattering most to you right now. Um, I am, I am, I'm, I'm going to say I am half kidding, but that's probably not true. I'm probably just okay. a little bit kidding, but mostly really serious. I think what is mattering most to me right now is Taylor Swift. <laughs> I am going to the Eras tour in June and I am like obsessively watching for the Taylor's version album drop dates. Like we've got Speak Now coming. I yes. know we've got 1989 coming. I'm here for I'm here for like the Swifty lore. <laughs> it's giving me life. I love it. I love that too, because it is another way of finding your people. I mean, it is, I, I love Taylor Swift in the, like, anytime I hear a song, I'm like, oh, she's fantastic. And I love her. I love her voice. I love her feminism. I love her strength, all of that stuff. Um, It's typically not my style of music. I, my style of music is usually like 2000s hip hop or grunge. (laughs) (laughs) Like chronic 2000? Are you my Like chronic 2000. Yes. I am one. My brother told me the other day he's in his Eminem era, and I've been waiting (gasps) for this day since 1998. It's still one of the tragedies of my life that I never married Eminem because that was literally my life goal for a couple of years there. You're my new best friend. I I had t shirts with him on there. I was like so weird. And my, my guy friends were all like, you know he raps about killing his wife. Why would you want to marry him? I'm like, because I'm going to change him, He's so obviously. real. <laughs> He's so real. The art is so authentic. And <laughs> oh, my God. Listen. When he played at the Super Bowl, was it like Okay, I was just about to say that. That's what's still mattering most to me. 
That matters I have, a lot to me, too. I will tell I'm you I'm only like 500 million of the billion views on YouTube of that video. <laughs> I, it is. I'm not kidding you. I watch it a lot. <laughs> I'm so happy. So I'm funny. putting all of this in the podcast. and just oh, going to let people please, just know. I'm not do. cutting any of this. No, no. <laughs> okay. So Taylor Swift, though. That's fantastic. I love that answer. And it is... Uh, I don't think it's silly at all. And I don't think it's half kidding. I think Thank that's you. Well, I felt like perfect. my answer should be, my children are obviously mattering most to me. <laughs> and they are, but also yeah. Taylor Swift's pretty high up there. But also Taylor Swift. Yeah. 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 How much do you love her? I could have kept talking to her for hours. My thanks again to Shannon Evans for joining me today. You can find her on Twitter at Shannon K. Evans. That's S-H-A-N-N-O-N-K-A-Y-E-V-A-N-S. And on Instagram at Shannon, the letter K, Evans. Uh, or on her website at Shannon, the letter K, Evans.com. I will link to all of these in the show notes as well. Join me next week as we continue to make space for, honor, and name what matters to us. And now, according to our little tradition as we close out, I offer you this benediction, appropriately, from Shannon's book, Feminist Prayers for My Daughter, from the prayer called For a Feminine Imaging of God, with language adapted to fit all of us. Let's pray. O face of the divine feminine, as women we bear the Imago Dei, the image of God in our bodies and femininity. And yet it is rare for us to see that represented in sacred spaces. How can we believe in our own Imago Dei when it has been stifled and subdued in the collective religious imagination? And so I pray. I pray for a great, a great awakening to the divine feminine. I pray for artists to create from it. I pray for pastors to preach on it. I pray for liturgists to include it. I pray for activists to draw strength from it. I pray for each woman to delight in it. Do a new thing within the hearts of the people of God. Crack us open. Give us freer imaginations. Expand our souls to embrace you in the feminine after so long in the masculine. There will be parts of us that are healed. There will be parts of us that are challenged. Let us be unafraid to be changed. And when women walk into a place of worship, let it be with our heads held high and certainty in our bones, knowing that the essence of who we are reveals to the world the truth of the sacred feminine. Amen. <laughs>